Well, we are part five of our biblical stewardship principles series here. And last time we looked at this idea that we are stewards. Um, let's just kind of, we're going to do a little bit of review here today, and then we're going to get into some practical things. What does it mean that we are stewards? What does it mean when we say that we are stewards? Anybody remember what is a steward? What did a steward do in the in the ancient Near East? Okay, yeah, steward cared for something that that belonged for another. What's another word instead of cared for? What what did he do? Yeah, manager. Okay, so a manager of of something that belongs to somebody else. So then, what does that mean for us if we are stewards? What we have belongs to somebody else. Okay, good. Um, this is from uh, Randy Alcorn's book, and, and I can't remember. There was a footnote on this sentence, but I didn't write it down. He says this, A steward is someone who entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. So entrusted with somebody else's wealth or property and and the steward's job is to take care of that wealth, take care of that property, take care of those possessions in in the owner's best interest, the way that the owner would want him to do that. So if we are stewards, who is the owner? It's an easy one. This is a, this is a kid's one here even. Drake. God, God is the owner of everything. So God is the owner of everything. And everything then that we have really actually belongs to God. It's not really it's not really our stuff. It, it belongs to God and he has entrusted it into our hands until Christ returns. So everything that we own um where would you go in scripture to prove that God is the owner of everything? Anyone remember that? Anyone, anyone that sometimes I like to ask hard ones, but that's a, I think it's a good thing to, to try to remember. Where would you go in scripture? Where might you go to prove that God owns everything? Okay, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what, are, what would be the implications if God created everything? It belongs to him, right? Yeah, he made it out of nothing, including even us. And so I, I think it's you know right to say that that he's the owner of that. That would kind of go for us too if we created something. It would typically in normal circumstances belong to the creator. But of course, that's for sure with God. Where else? That's a good one. Where else might you go in scripture to to prove that God is the owner of everything? Well, let's see here. I've got a few in in my notes here. Let's go to Leviticus twenty five twenty three. This is review here, but uh, yeah, we want to just we want to review this so that that we know this a little bit. 
God says to Israel, Leviticus 25, 23, he says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And so God says to Israel, the land is mine. I own this land. And so it's not going to be sold forever. It's, it's, it's going to be sold until the year of Jubilee because it, it really ultimately belongs to me. And you guys, you Israel, are just strangers and sojourners in the land. Uh, another one, Deuteronomy, let's do some of these. Deuteronomy 10.15. Deuteronomy 10.14 says this, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth... And all that is in it. So there God says, I, I, it belongs to me. The earth and everything, heaven. And again, because God is the creator, all of that belongs to him. I think one we probably, I, I would think we know a little bit better is Psalm 50 and verse 10. And there's two in the Psalms, so we'll, we'll do these two in the Psalms here. Psalm 50, a great psalm, verses 10 to 12 says, and, and the Lord is speaking here. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. So again, God owns all the cattle on every hill. And, and the idea is here, like, when there's cattle on a hill, typically there's a, a human owner, right? But God says, no, ultimately that belongs to me. Those, those cows, every bird, all the beasts of the field, everything, the world and its fullness, the world and everything in it uh, belongs to me. God says, those things are mine. And then one, one that I often use just in, in like evangelism encounters, it's, it's on our gospel memory card that we have, uh, at the back there is, uh, tw- uh, Psalm 24 verses one and two. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Again, this, everything that's in it would be the fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So God is the owner of everything, and we are stewards of what he has given to us. Now, what are, what are some implications of that? Just what, what, what would kind of flow out of that if God was the owner of everything that we typically think of as ours? What, what would kind of result from that? And I think there's a lot of things. Anyone, anyone know what I'm trying to get at there? What, 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 what results, what implications are there for, you know, maybe the way we, we treat our things or what we're supposed to do with things if, if they really ultimately belong to God? How should we respond to things in, in that case, maybe? 
yeah, treat them good. And I don't know who said that. Was that, that was Aiden? Okay. Um, so treat them good. Yeah. Why, why would you say that, Aiden, or anyone else? Why would, why should we treat things good just because, because they're gods? Yeah, that's right. If you borrow a friend's toy or something like that, right? You want to, you want to treat it good because it's not your toy. If it's your toy, I guess you could break it. But it's, you know, it's God's thing, and so we want to take good care of it. Um, what else? What else? So we're, so we're to treat things good, I think. I think that, that makes sense there. What else should we do if God owns everything? Good. Seek to find out how he wants us to use it. Yeah, that's really good. And that, that's one I want to go into a little bit more. Um, but, but, but I want to just save that one for a minute. So let's try to remember that one. Seek to find out, find out how he wants to use it. I've lost it for a second there. That's good. Um, what else? So, um, let me ask the kids when you're, when your brother or sister, um, loses a toy or maybe one of their things gets broken, how do you normally feel about that? Sorry, okay. Todd feels sorry. How about how about you over there? You feel bad when when your sister, yeah, okay, your brother and sister's toy. But how do you feel compared to maybe how you might feel if your special toy got broken? Mad? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Mad. Okay. So, do you feel maybe a little different if your special toy got broken than if your brother and sister's special toy got broken? Yeah, I think most of the kids are honest about that. I think, and I think that's typically how we feel. So I think that can also apply to the way that we think about our possessions. If we really believe that those things belong to God and not to us, then we can handle it better if, if it gets broken or lost or destroyed or, um, or, or, taken away because we realize at the beginning that it, it doesn't actually belong to us. And I think, um, I can't remember if I, if I shared this last time, but Randy Alcorn talks about the, this, uh, a story from John Wesley. And uh, I wonder if Randy Alcorn is a little bit Arminian. He really likes John Wesley. He must have done a lot of study on John Wesley because he brings him up a lot. John Wesley used his money, I, I would, it would seem to me, very, very well and, and handled money very, very well in a godly way, very biblical way. But somebody came running to him one day and says, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your, your house burnt down. And he thought about it for a little bit. And then he said, no, God's house burnt down. And that's one less thing for me to worry about. And then he just kind of went on. I, I, I might've told that last time. I can't remember, but, um, when, when, when we really believe that everything that we own belongs to God, we, we are less likely to worry about it and fret about it and be concerned about it. Now, sometimes things might break on us and we might go, okay, well, God, how are you going to replace this thing? Because this seems to be something that, that I need to kind of do your business and your work. And so we can think about it that way. But, um, so, so this, this has implications for, 
how we, how we worry. And really, it, it could really revolutionize the way that we think about the things that we call ours. If we think about them biblically, they're not really ours. They've been entrusted to us and they belong to God. And if God providentially, not because we're lazy or because we're, um, careless with our things, but if God providentially takes them away for some reason, then we can just kind of say, well, okay, that's your stuff, God. And if you want to take it away or you want to do something different with it, that's, that's okay with me. But let's go back to Alan saying, do you still have it in your mind how you said it, Alan? We should find out how he wants us to use it, something like that. Um, a really important verse on, on stewardship is 1 Corinthians 4. And this doesn't necessarily have to do only with how we use money, but 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. Because even though this series is mostly focusing on money, possessions, and how we prepare for eternity, um, we also recognize that this whole stewardship thing is is even broader because I'm not just a steward of the money and the wealth that God gives me. I'm also a steward of the talents that he's given me, the time that he's given me, the um, the energy that he's given me. Really, everything that I have has come from him and he's entrusted it to me to use for his glory until Christ returns. And so... This, this principle of stewardship and God's ownership really is even broader. And I, and I think we were talking about this in men's Bible study a few weeks ago. Um, first Corinthians 619. Well, I'm, I'm like right there. So why don't we just go there? First Corinthians 619 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So the Lord's telling us here that, that we are not our own. We don't even belong to ourselves. We've been bought with a price in our redemption. And so we, our whole life belongs to God. And so in a sense, we're kind of like doubly owned as Christians because God not only owns everything, which includes us in the first place, but now, secondly, he also bought us in our salvation, and we belong to him as, as, as part of his salvation. Christ purchased us with his blood, and so now we're doubly owned, and so the Holy Spirit tells us here in 1 Corinthians six nineteen that we are to glorify God in our body, which really means glorify God with our, our whole self. But part of that, it, then going back to first, go back to First Corinthians four and look at verses one and two. Paul says, "This is how one should regard us, Paul and Timothy and Silas and the apostles. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards. That's our special word as stewards, household managers of the mysteries of God." And then he says in verse two, "Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found." faithful. So one of the, the main requirements of a, of a steward is that they were to be faithful in how they handled the Lord's or the, their, their master's uh, things, whatever was entrusted to them, their master's household, their master's finances, their master's lands, their master's fields, their master's 
fruit, everything that, everything that belonged to the master was in the steward's hand. He could do whatever he wanted with it, but his job was to be faithful with that, to do what the master wanted him to do. And so I was thinking about this kind of the other day, just along what Alan said, what is the, what does the master want us to do? This idea of being faithful with, with God's wealth, with everything that he's entrusted to us. And, and remember, he's entrusted to us time, energy, resources, talents, gifts, and abilities. Every one of us has only so much of that, right? We have so much time to use for the master. We have so much resources that he's given us, so much energy, so much abilities, whatever those are. And, and he's, he's calling us stewards of all of that. We're, he's, he's entrusted it to us. So how does he want us to use it? And so if we're going to be faithful with, with someone else's belongings, what do we need to know? Let's just, and it doesn't even, let's, we're not even talking about God here. Like we, we're just, let's just say we're going to be, let's just say Alan entrusted me all of his possessions and wealth. And, and he's going to go away on a trip for 10 years and I'm supposed to just take care of that for him and I can live in his house and do whatever. Um, but, but he's, he wants me to kind of make it work for him until he comes back. What do I have to know in order to do that? Well, that's right, Aiden, what he wants me to do with it. Because he's entrusted it to me, and now I, now I go, well, okay, well, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? And so I think that's a really important question for all of us. What does God want us to do with what he's given to us? Because we, in order to do that, we need to know how he wants it used. Now, generally, I, we already saw, right? He wants us to glorify him with everything that he's given us. But how does the Lord want us to steward or how does the Lord want us to use what he has given us until he returns? So uh, another way to ask that, and th- this is a question for you. How does the Lord want us to steward or to use what he has given us until he returns? Or maybe asking it a different way. What is What are the Lord's priorities right now? And so what would you guys say? What are the Lord's priorities right now? What does he want us to do until Christ returns? You guys are on it today. So I heard, I could only, out of the three things that I heard, I only heard share the gospel with people. That's good. Yeah, that was, that was Waylon. Am I saying, well, you're Waylon, right? Okay. I think I messed up last time. Anyways, you're Waylon. Good stuff. So Waylon said share the gospel with people. What else? What, I heard like two or three other things in there. Make disciples. Good. Make disciples of all men. What does that mean, make disciples? How, how else do we think about that typically? What do we call that? Share the gospel. Yeah, share the gospel. Teach the Bible. Yeah, learn the Bible. What else? What, what are the, um, why does the Lord want us to share the gospel with people until Christ returns? You can just, you can just shout it out, Drake. Cause then, yeah, cause then people don't have to go to hell if we share the gospel with them. That's great. Yeah. What, what, so I think, I think you're right on that. So, so share the gospel with people, reach lost people. Um, 
What's the other thing that the Lord is doing kind of tied to that? I think it kind of goes with what um, um, my mind sometimes just goes blank up here. No, I wasn't looking. I was looking right past Waylon to Dane. And for some reason, Dane, uh, my, your name just blanked right out of my mind when I was standing up here. So Dane said, make disciples. What's the other part about making disciples that's involved? And I think Will kind of touched on it. Yeah, build the church. That's good. Uh, I heard someone say teach. Yeah. So what, what, why do we care about that? Why do we care about teaching right now until Christ comes back? Because we're commanded to? Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, we're commanded to. No, that's great. We're commanded to. But why, like, why are we, why do you think God commands us? He could have commanded us to, uh, have a good time and, and eat lots of fish or something. I don't know. Teaching them to observe all things. Teaching them to be faithful. Yeah, that's, no, it's good. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just making you guys think and kind of, uh, feels like I'm pulling teeth out here. <laughs> so, but th- it's good to think about what does the Lord want us to do? And I think it's, it, we need to be really r- clear about it and even like why he wants us to do that. So, um, uh, this is why I teach interactive so that I can like, I can just see like, you know, what's going on, what, what you're thinking. And, and sometimes it's my bad questioning that leads to conversation, but sometimes it's like, okay, we need to like slow down a little bit and let's talk more about this. So we're called to be faithful with what we've been given time, energy, resources, talents, gifts, abilities. And, and so now we want to be faithful stewards with what the Lord's given us. And so we have to know what he wants us to do. And there's really two things, and and we could say it different ways, but there's really two things that are happening right now that God wants to happen on the earth. And they both ultimately glorify him. So if we do these two things, we glorify him according to his plan. If we don't do these two things, then we're not being faithful because we're not doing what he told us to do. And the two things are reaching lost people and then helping them to grow to be like Christ. So, okay, so um, did, you, did you know, did you have that one, Rob, or something? Did you whisper, you whispered it quietly to Karina, but you didn't want to, uh... <laughs> that's great. So, and, and sometimes I, I, I might say it like this, our job is to save people and, and see them sanctified. So to, to reach them and then make them grow to be like Christ or building the church is the way Will said it, which is, which I see kind of involving two things being people being added to the church. And hopefully with that is like through salvation too, not just people coming to a local church, moving around, but actually like adding people to the church through salvation and then building the church. I like the wording in Ephesians chapter five, where it talks about being the church being made a glorious church. And, and, and the idea there is again, that they're being sanctified. They're growing to be like Christ. And if you think about it, like when, so God designed salvation to, to glorify him because nothing, nothing shows 
God's glory and greatness and goodness more than what he's done in salvation. So his grace, his mercy, his justice is shown when we see Jesus dying on the cross. All of God's attributes are shown when, when he plans and accomplishes and applies salvation. So when, and when, when somebody is saved, they go from being a sinner that's hostile to God to being a worshiper. And so now they're going to glorify God through their worship. But then, because we still have this remaining sin in us, we don't glorify God as, as, as well as we could and should until we mature in Christ and become more and more like Him. So that's, those are the two th- parts that are going to really glorify God. If, if, if we can have a church that's growing with like people getting reached and then those people are getting more and more like Christ, we're like, um, accumulating worship to God and, and so that every aspect of our lives is bringing him more and more glory. And that's why we do like all the things we do in a church because we, we want to reach the people with the gospel and then teach them so that they can be, um, more like Christ. So that's what, that's what God is doing in the world. And if, if you could just get that, like if you just said like tonight, if that was like just super clear for you and you're like, this is what God is doing in the world and you could, and, and you see the, okay, so that means my time and my energy and my resources, including my money and my giftings and my abilities that God has given me, he wants me to use those to, to build the church and see people grow to be more like Christ, um, that, that, like, that would be, that'd be awesome. So that's, that's what God is doing. That's what he wants to do. That's what most glorifies him. And I don't know that I could think of anything that would kind of fall outside of that, that God's really doing right now in, in the world. He's, and he's doing this only for a limited time until Christ returns. And then that's, then that's it. That, this whole thing is done. And there's no more opportunity for us to, lay up treasure in heaven, right? That's kind of what we're doing as we invest in these things. Any questions on that part? Or or like anyone want to add to that, say something better? Some, that's why we do it interactive too. That's the other reason we do it interactive because sometimes you get an opportunity to say something that's that's even more helpful. Okay, so last time we looked at Luke 16. So why don't we just go back there and just see if, if uh, we can get that a little bit back in our minds. Remember, this was the parable of the... Uh, oh, so did I say Luke 16? Luke 16, parable of the the unrighteous. I think the heading in my Bible, in my ESV says dishonest, but it's it's really literally the unrighteous... Uh, manager, I feel like verse nine, no verse, verse eight. Uh, the ESV translates it the dishonest manager. Remember this this guy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, sheesh, what's his name? 
Anyway, one of my commentaries at home calls him the scallywag. So that just popped into my mind. This scallywag, he, uh, um, he ripped off all of his master's servants. Remember, he was going to get fired because he was dishonest. So he ripped off all of his master's um, debtors, everyone who owed his master's money. He lessened the amounts. And his goal was to... to um, to have them so that they felt like they owed him something so that he could sleep on their couch for the next couple of years while he was out of work. So he kind of, he was trying to provide for his future. So he, he came up with this plan so that they would owe him something and then maybe he could go and sleep on the couch and just kind of live it up. Cause remember he was ashamed to beg and, uh, he was ashamed to beg and he, and he, he didn't want to dig. Remember, he didn't want to, he didn't want to work with his hands. He's kind of, he was used to a, a comfortable, luxurious lifestyle. So this unrighteous steward prepared for his future by, remember, by cheating his master's debtors or, or, or really cheating his master so that people would welcome him when he was put out of a job. And so in the same way that that guy prepared for his earthly future, we too are to prepare for our eternal future by using our master's goods, the Lord's goods, the things that he has entrusted to us. So that when our time on earth is done, people will welcome us into heaven. And the idea behind that, if you remember, was that that we're to use our money, Jesus calls it the unrighteous wealth or the unrighteous mammon. We're to, we're to use kind of this world's goods that are kind of viewed as, as actually unrighteous almost in and of themselves because so much of the world uses their possessions in wicked and, and evil ways. Well, we're to use that, that almost wicked and evil worldly money to prepare the way for eternity and, and, and make a difference in people's lives. Remember along those same lines of what we just talked about by seeing people get saved with, by hearing the gospel and by seeing the church grow so that it's, it's growing spiritually and people are becoming more like Christ. So Luke sixteen ten, we went through that really, really quickly last time. It's, it starts there and it says, Jesus says, then after the parable, and after he's kind of laid down this principle that we're to almost, I like the way Jerry Bridges, he's, he says that we, or not Jerry Bridges, Randy Alcorn in this book here, he says that we, we almost, we send our money ahead, right? We, we can't, we can't keep it now. So we almost, we send it ahead by using it to make a difference for eternity. And then Jesus, after kind of making that point, he says in verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And then he says in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. And so again, we're stewards, and the Lord's telling us here, if, if we're not faithful in this very little, and the very little is our 
property, possessions, the, the things that we're given in this world, our, our, our worldly goods, if we're not faithful in our, in unrighteous money, then we're not going to be faithful with what he calls here true riches. And, and so the question is, well, what is, what are true riches? And I, I don't even know that I know the answer to that in this context. I think, I think true riches is maybe heavenly reward because that's what Jesus is talking about here with this people welcoming you. This so, so heavenly reward, or maybe we, we might even think of the true riches as, as like an increasing knowledge of God and who he is or or even I, I put down here question worship. Maybe maybe worship is true riches. But whatever true riches are, the idea here is that we're to be faithful as stewards with our resources, with whatever God has entrusted to us, and that that by being faithful with those with those things that God has given us now, we'll be entrusted with good things in eternity later. So Jesus is commanding us to be faithful stewards of our resources. So that was just kind of a little bit of an aside as we're thinking about this question. Um, what are the implications of our call to be stewards? What, what, are, what are the implications of that? Another implication, and I think we kind of jumped onto this one already, but I'll just say this a little bit again, is that God cares for us. Okay, so if, if, if God has entrusted us with everything that we have, one of the things that a steward would do would be he would live off of the resources that his, his boss, his master had provided for him. So he would be free to, to, to raid the master's pantry and, uh, eat his cookies or plant his fields or use his, um, horse or donkey or whatever. Whatever the master had, the, the manager was allowed to use those things to fulfill the master's business. And so one of the things for us that, that kind of is encouraging is that God will provide for us. We don't need to worry. All we need to do is, is focus on serving God faithfully. And he will provide for all of our needs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? So there's nothing for us to be worried about. He's going he's gonna to take care of us. So those are implications of, of uh, our call to be stewards of everything that God has given us. Now, Randy Alcorn says this about this. And I think this is probably a, a convicting thing. Let's just see what, what this is here. He says, quote, A test of our stewardship is whether we ask God to show us what to do with his money. If we don't consult him, we act as if we were owners, not stewards. When I grasp that I'm a steward, not an owner, it totally changes my perspective. Suddenly, I'm not asking how much of my money... Shall I, out of the goodness of my heart, give to God? Rather, I'm asking, since all of my money is really yours, Lord, how would you like me to invest your money today? How would you like me to invest your money today? Now, we're not, when we ask this question, we're not like waiting for some like subjective feeling that's like, you know, and I, I used to do this. I, I used to go to the grocery store and I would ask God, like, can I, 
can I get cheese today? Like it was always cheese and milk and honey. I always somehow like milk and honey was just the thing back in those days. But I would, I would, I would literally like pray at the grocery aisle and, and be like, can I, can I get the cheese or should I just stick to bread? That was the other thing I ate all the time before I got married and Jody feeds me well now. But like, you know, um, so I would wait for like a feeling, should I, can I get this? But, but still, that perspective should be there. And, and, and probably, honestly, I need to get back more to that. Like, God, what, how do you want me to use your, your money? Right? How, how, sh- how should it be used? I know, I know what your goals are. Now, I know part of that is that you're going to provide for me and take care of me. So I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, about my food and clothing and whatever. But, but with that, um, do I treat it as though it belongs to me or do I ac- actually acknowledge that it belongs to God? And so that's a little test of our stewardship. How do you feel about your money? Who does, who does it really belong to? And so this perspective that we're stewards can really change everything. God owns 100% of my money and I manage it for him and for his glory. And he tells us that we're to use his money to invest in our eternal future. So he gives, it's amazing God's grace. He gives us everything, even the ability to make wealth. We talked about that last time. And now he's entrusted all of this to us so that we have some things that are in our management. And now he's going to reward us for using what he already gave us to serve him. That's just amazing grace right there. So that, that is the foundation then of, of what we wanted to cover for stewardship. So everything that we said up till now, all of the previous four and a half lessons, that, that was a foundation. And what, what I want to do now over the next, and I really want to do this part quicker. Like I, I don't think I want to spend like belabor it, like I've been belaboring the principles, but we'll see how it goes. I want it to be helpful for you too. And, and for me, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But every, what, what we want to move to now is to like actual day to day management of God's resources. What do we, what do we do as stewards? How do we use our money? How do we use our resources as stewards? So, so we've talked broad principles. Now we want to talk about specific, practical, and, and suggestions, I think is the right word because, because after these, like, these principles are set in stone. These, this is God telling us exactly how to think about things. But now when it comes to the details, we're, we're actually free to, to kind of make decisions ourselves with the wisdom that we get from God's word. So really, really practical things. And I say again, suggestions, because we need each steward, um, needs to faithfully steward what they've been given, but there, there always, there isn't always a right or wrong answer or right or wrong application of everything that we've learned. And all of us have different giftings and abilities as well that are going to kind of come into this whole thing. So we have, each of us as Christians have freedom to determine how are we going to invest in eternity. And each of us, in how we do this and how we live, how we take care of God's money, if we're stewards, then when the master comes back, he's going to give or take an accounting 
of how we use what he has given us, right? And, and we see that in like the parable of the talents or the parable of the minas. There's going to be a judgment day, nothing that we need to fear, but there's going to be a judgment and we're going to give an account on how we served God with his money. And so one of the things I I just wrote here, we need to encourage each other to be heavenly minded, but at the same time, we, we're not to judge each other on how we do use what we use that God has given us. And so that's something that, that we want to be careful of. So with all that kind of said, again, that's the foundation. What are some practical areas Where, where you might have questions or that, that might, what, what kind of practical things do you think need to be talked about when we talk about stewarding God's money? What comes to mind when you just think about how am I going to practically day by day steward God's money? What, what kind of questions come to your mind? What, what areas do you think we need to cover here when we talk about that? Okay, so so Will, yeah, could you you guys can all hear, right? So, yeah, that's great. Now, when you're, because I'm, because that's good, and and I I don't know that I'll have a be able to answer that for you. Like I I think, I think through providence we can be confident that what we're doing is is good and beneficial towards seeing people get saved and and building up the kingdom, or even towards just handling our own finances. I, I think we can be, we can be confident. I don't know that we're, we're ever going to find like this is perfectly God's will in this. I, like, I think there's times where we just have to be wise with, with decisions. But, but even if we just back up a little bit more, when you're talking about a decision, what are you, what kind of a decision are you talking about? Like, Okay, yeah, so to buy a house or rent, okay? So, so, so if we're, we're just backing up, like what, and, and the question was again, what are, what are some practical areas where we might have questions about stewarding God's money? I think one of the first categories that we think about is, is buying stuff, right? That's just kind of a broad category. Or, um, we might call it spending money, right? How do we spend, how, how does God want us to spend money? 
And I, th- I think that's kind of where, where we want to cover. What now? So is there spending? What other kind of parts then would come into that if we kind of keep it out broad for now? Saving. Yeah, good. So spending, saving. Um, that's really good. What else do we do with money? Okay, budgeting, which is like planning on how to spend it, I think. Uh, or what else, what else comes into, um, what else comes into a budget? Because a budget is actually pretty broad. What, what do you, what's the first thing you want to have in your budget? You have to make money. So we want, now we want to talk about how do we make money according to God's rules. Uh, what else should we do with our money? Yeah, giving, tithing, that comes into it as well. So, um, now there's one other thing that, that I have on my list that we, I want, I want you guys to get it. So what, what, uh, how else do we get money? Working is one way to get money, earning money. How else could you get money? Borrowing money. There it is. So, so borrowing money. So those, those, at least as far as I could think of, that covers everything that I could think of that you could do with money. So, um, uh, earning money, which, which could come. So, and these are, these are going to be my categories. So earning money, which could come as like income or employment or, you know, there's, there's other ways you could get money. You could, um, you could get an inheritance or something, but like money coming in, I think is earn, is what we're going to call earning. Um, secondly, we're going to talk about giving money and I, I kind of put it in that order purposely. So earning money, then giving money. Then we'll talk about spending money. We'll talk about borrowing and I'm not going to cover them in this order. I'm actually going to talk about earning and borrowing today if we have time to do both of those. Um, and then saving. So we're going to talk about earning money, then borrowing money. Then we're going to talk about different ways of, so that's, that's getting money kind of positively and negatively earning and borrowing. Then we're going to talk about how to use money, which is spending, saving, and giving. So, uh, that's where we're going. And, and then I think then we'll be done this, uh, this series, I think. So we'll, we'll see how this goes, but let's, let's kind of start here with earning then. What is God's normal way for providing for our needs? Work. work. Yeah, good work. We were created to work. And I think, I think it's helpful to kind of see that. So I even want to, I want, even want you to go to Genesis chapter two. Genesis two fifteen. God created us to work and, um, Chapter two, of course, is pre-fall. The fall of man happens in chapter three. And so it says, the Lord, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So there's creation of man. We haven't even been introduced to the woman yet at the, um, 
or, or at least in chapter in chapter one, there's male and female, but then God's kind of going into more detail in chapter two, what's going on there. And uh, he took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And again, this is before sin, this is before the curse, but man was to work the garden. And then as he kind of gets introduced to all the work that's going on in the garden, next thing God does is show him his wife and tell him to be fruitful and multiply because he's going to need some help to work that garden with him. And so that's going to be like a family affair to, to take care of this garden. Now, after the curse, the work got more difficult, but it, it's still part of our task that we were, this is, this is one of the ways by which we were made to glorify God on the world, in the world is by working and, and, and doing something productive in God's creation. So after the curse, though, it, it gets more difficult. And, and you can look at that in Genesis 3, 17. The earth or the curse introduced futility to our work, but the, the curse didn't introduce work itself. Work itself is not a curse. It's a blessing to be able to produce and, and create wealth in the world. Uh, it can be created by the, the work that we do as we kind of put into things um, we, we increase things and make them better and make them productive and make them grow and all of that thing happens through our work. But after that, after the fall, Genesis 3.17, and to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so there's going to be an extra measure of futility in our work that, that's introduced because of the curse. But still, the normal way that God provides for us is through our labor in the world. And so I'm not going to give you time to turn to these, but just some verses here that I, I think are helpful. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So if we're lazy, generally speaking, we're in Proverbs here, if we're lazy and we don't work, that's going to lead to poverty but if we're diligent, the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or Proverbs 14.23, in all toil, there is profit. In every work that we do in, under the sun, there is profit to be made. We can, we can make things better. There's gain to be made. We can, we can create wealth, right? We, we, we don't, we don't make money. We don't create money. Only government kind of prints money, but we, we produce and, and things, things are, are, are worth more because of the work that we put in it to it. So all, in all toil there is profit. But then the, the rest of that verse says, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So if we, if we toil, there's profit, but if we just talk about it, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything, leads to poverty again. Proverbs 12:11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. 
So there's some things that are, are worthless to pursue, but if we work our land, if we, if we work the, the fields and create food, then God says there'll be plenty of bread for us if we do that. But again, in all toil, there is profit, although there's, there's some things that we could pursue that would, um, let me give you one thing that I just popped into my head that you could kind of pursue that would be worthless. I would say I would put playing video games in, in that category. Like that's, that's not going to produce any, any good for you. Um, it, in fact, it really like, you know, if you go and, and have a, a leisurely, um, a bump game after this, it, it might, it might like kind of give you some, it'll, it, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll burn some calories or something. But if you're just sitting there playing video games, it's a, it's a worthless pursuit. And there's, so you could probably think of with that as an example, you could probably think of other worthless pursuits that would be in the world, um, that you wouldn't want to follow or devote your life to. Now, I'm sure there's somebody who makes money on video games, uh, but that, I bet you that guy, is pretty rare. So anyways, that this is God's normal way for us to create wealth. Now, you ladies, um, you know about this because you guys were in 1 Thessalonians. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to just show you this a little bit here from here. First Thessalonians chapter four, eleven and twelve. Uh, well, let me just start a little bit. So, kind of halfway through verse ten, Paul says, "We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more." And the, and the idea is there to to love one another more and more. But also tied into that in verse eleven, we urge you, verse eleven, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So he wants us, God wants us, this is Paul, but speaking in the word of God by the Holy Spirit, we're to live quiet lives, kind of don't be involved in other people's business, mind your own affairs, he says, work with your hands as we instructed you. And, and this doesn't necessarily just mean only with your hands, right? Like, I, can't, I guess I work with my hands because I do this and I do this all the time. But, um, but th- that would, this would qualify as what, what Paul is, is, has in mind here. It's not just like, I want you to be a mechanic or a, a carpenter, but, but he wants us to work and, and to kind of be productive with our lives. And the purpose of this in verse 12 is so that you may walk properly before outsiders. So it's going to be a, a good witness for the community if we work properly and, and, and produce profit by our work, but also so that we would be dependent on no one. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want us begging bread. He wants us working to produce our bread. So that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then, then go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 6, he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is pretty heavy duty already. 
We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, we might wonder, well, what is that tradition? And we might just go nicely back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says, oh, we want you to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you won't be dependent. But it seems like there were some Thessalonians, and I think I think this is tied to their eschatology. I think they thought, the Lord is coming soon, so let's just chill and, and, and we don't have to do nothing. We don't have to work because he's going to come. And then we, you know, so, so what we've got here kind of stored up in the pantry, that's going to be good enough. And so they were, they were getting idle and they were, they were just kind of being busybodies, talking to one another, visiting one another, having coffee and stuff. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Uh, we don't even, being like it's almost like a, an initial church discipline thing here. Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that you that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So this, uh, this, um, unwillingness to work was actually becoming a discipline issue in the church. And so we're to, we're to eat our own bread. We're not to be dependent on anybody. We're to work to provide for our needs and the needs of our family. And that's just kind of the normal way that we're to do things. Now there's maybe times where we can't find work or something like that. That, that, that doesn't really come under this whole thing, but there should be at least in us a willingness to work, to produce so that we can take care of our needs and also our family. But, but I want you to go to Ephesians chapter four as we just, and we're just thinking, just, we're just kind of spending time thinking about what God says about work here. And I want you to go to Ephesians four twenty eight. <clears throat> Paul's talking here about, about how to um, put off the old self and the old ways of life and how to be renewed in our mind and how to be more like Christ, put on the new self, the self that was created uh, in, in what he calls in verse uh, 24, true righteousness and holiness. So if we're really born again, we've been, we've been a new creation and and so Paul's kind of telling the, the Ephesians, how do we live as a new creation? And one of those things is in our work. And so in, in Ephesians 4.28, he says, let the thief no longer steal. So this is kind of, that's the old way of living. Before, maybe before we were saved, there was people that, that stole and that's how they earned their living was by, by thievery. But that's, that's no longer to be the way as a Christian, 
let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And so that's what we're to put on is this is, this is how we're to think of, about providing for our needs is let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And then Paul gives this renewing of the mind kind of perspective on this, which is a totally different perspective than, than maybe we had before we were saved so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. See, before the, we were saved, the thief maybe thought he was, why was he stealing stuff? Not so that he could share it with somebody else who was in need. He was, he was taking stuff away from other people so that he could have it for himself. Now there's this whole new way of thinking as a Christian that I want to have something to share with somebody who's in need and I'm not going to steal it from somebody um, who, who, who worked for that stuff. I'm going to provide for it myself, but not just for me and my family, but I'm also doing this so that I can share with other people that might have need. So that's why, that's why we work partly to earn money for ourselves, to provide for our families and, and, um, but then even beyond that, to have something to share with anyone in need. And then even we'll, and we'll talk about this more at another time, but even then, to, to make extra beyond that so that we can give it and invest it in eternal investments, which we'll talk about when we talk about giving. But that's, that's kind of this renewed thinking that we're to have. Uh, Titus 3, 13, I won't, I won't have you turn there, but Paul says there, do your best to send or to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So Paul wants the people that that Titus is ministering to, the Cretans, he wants them to support and send and even speed Zenos and Apollos. Zenos and Apollos are are doing kind of like missions work. And so Paul wants them to, to be sent off lacking nothing so that they can devote themselves to the ministry. And, and for the, the people in, in Cretan or the Cretans, this is, this is what call, what Paul calls devoting themselves to good works. So they, they, they want to be able, Paul wants these people to be able to meet urgent needs not be unfruitful. And part of this not being unfruitful is by supporting these missionaries like Apollos and Zenos. So that's, again, part of why why do we work, not just to share with anyone in need, but also to support missionaries. And it's, it's part of good works to work. Like our work is is a good work. Our work is a good work that God is going to reward us for. And, and then just to kind of see that, we're already in Ephesians, so now I want you to just stay there. You're in, uh, go to chapter 6 and verse, we'll start at verse 5. Just thinking about working in the ancient Near East, a lot of the laborers were slaves. And so in, um, in Ephesians 6, 5, Paul addresses the slaves, the ESV translates it, bond servants there. And he says, bond servants, obey your masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. So here's kind of just some general principles about working. We as workers, we as employees are to obey our earthly masters. And, and, and when we work, we're to do it not for ourselves, not even ultimately for our boss, but most ultimately, and Paul says it three times here, we're to do it as though we were working for Christ. So our work is like a ministry to glorify Christ. And so we, we do our work with fear and trembling, not necessarily because we're afraid of our earthly masters, but we want to do sincere service to Christ. We're not, we're not just doing what Paul calls eye service and being people pleasers. You know, people pleasers and people who are doing eye service, they just, they only work hard when the boss is looking, right? Because, because that's the only time that really matters. Boss is working and okay, let's get, here comes the boss. Everyone start working. But if you're, if you're really doing it for the Lord, as, as what he says, as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, we're, we're seeking to please him and, and not just our earthly masters. So rendering service, he says, with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. So I, I want to, if I'm an employee, I want to do my boss good by working hard for him, by being obedient to him, and by trying to improve his situation and, 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 um, and, and, and like do what he want, would want me to do. So sometimes what, what my boss might want me to do and what I think would be most profitable for the company or best for the company, those two things might conflict. Well, I want to, I'm, I'm to obey my boss and just kind of leave that with him. But sometimes I might talk to my boss about what I think would be most profitable because I, I'm, I'm thinking of him as though he were Christ and I want to serve Christ in my work. So that's kind of a, a little bit just about, about how we're to work. We're, we're, to, we're to work as though we're going to work for Christ. We're to work so that we can provide for our own needs, so that we're not dependent on anyone, so that, so that nobody has to give us a handout, but so that we provide for our own needs. But not only our own needs, also the needs of others and the needs of world missions. You know, seeing people get saved and to grow to be like Christ. And notice, and I just, I, every time I look at this text, I have to look at it. Look at verse 8 again. We're doing this knowing that whatever good anyone does, so you do good at work for your boss, you will receive back from the Lord. Whatever you do for, for the boss, you're going to be rewarded from the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you're a bond servant or free whether he is a bond servant or free. So, you know, whether you're a slave or whether you're a free man working for the for for your boss, whatever good you do towards him, the Lord is going to re- reward you for that. And that's really an amazing that really just changes the way that we think about work, right? Because now 
I'm doing it for the Lord and I'll even be rewarded by the Lord for the way that I serve in my work. And so again, work earns us a living, work provides our needs, the needs of others, and it, it should contribute value to society. And, and if you think about it, most, most jobs contribute value to society, right? Like you fix my car and it's value to society. You, you, you know, you get the lights working and the, the plugs going and it's, it's helpful for society. You sell me a pair of shoes and, and a belt or whatever, and it's, it's valuable for society holds my pants up and keeps my feet comfy, right? So all of, all of those things, whatever you do, pretty much like any, any job that, that is happening in the world is, is pretty much going to contribute value to society. Even like, you know, some, I don't know, I hate to even say it, but like, let's just say like, I'm a garbage man. Somebody, somebody has to take that garbage away and they can do it unto the Lord, and it's a blessing to society because it's not just sitting outside my front door. So no matter what job you do, it's pretty much, now there might be some that, that are, it's like kind of questionable, maybe you shouldn't work somewhere like that, but, but the jobs that we do contribute to society and earn us a living, and now we're, we're, we're bringing in money that we are now going to be entrusted with to serve the Lord with it. Now, when we think about work too, just, just kind of generally thinking about work, scripture doesn't necessarily say that we should love it in and of itself. I think often, I think that's more of like a modern thing even. I, I don't know that a hundred years ago people really thought about if they loved their work. They just had to work to survive and make a living. And, and so we don't necessarily need to, to love the actual thing that we're doing. But if you can love it, if, if it's something that you love, that's like, that's great. That's kind of, but that's just kind of like an added bonus. Um, I don't know that everyone is going to just think like, wow, this is awesome. I'm, I'm hucking garbage in the, the, ba- the thing today. But some, some might like, man, you know, some, there'd be times where I would just be like, that would be just so nice to just like be able to think about whatever I want to think about and not have to, read books or whatever I do or, or, you know, have them just, I just put this garbage and I can get dirty. And I, when I get home, I can have a shower. Like, um, you know, there, that, that might be, somebody might love that, that particular job, but it doesn't necessarily matter. The, the main goals are those ones that I already said, providing, um, earning some, some income. And, and so when we think about work, and we're just, I don't think we're going to get much further than work here today. That's okay. Um, when we think about work, there's other things as well that, that come into it beyond making money. So now I'm going to kind of make it a little bit interactive again. What are some things maybe that you've thought about or that you think would be good to think about beyond making money when you c- consider what kind of work you would do? What kind of, what, what other things would, would you maybe have thought about when you thought about, should I take this job or, or not? Yeah, how it affects your family? What would be some examples of, of that? Yeah, working in town or out of town, that's a huge one around here, right? Um, it affects your family. Now, 
It, and it, either way, it affects your family, right? If you work, if you work in town, uh, I'm told, uh, you get paid a little bit less often. Uh, if you work out of town, maybe you make more, uh, but maybe you don't have time for your family, or maybe your family goes with you out of town and it's no big deal, right? But that's, that's something that, that we think about. Uh, what else might, might we think about as far as, you know, f- even just keeping it in family? What, how, how can work affect our family? Yeah, if it's sufficient to provide for our family, maybe, maybe, uh, you could, you could work in town and have a, a part-time job or something, but, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really support the family well. And so, um, maybe, maybe, uh, that wouldn't be a good job for, for that person or, or for that family. I think other things that I think about is, is some, some jobs are, are just more stressful and they just, they come, they come home. You have to think about it, right? There, some jobs are, are like you're always on call. And, uh, and if you have a job where you're always on call, some people can kind of handle that well and, and some people can't handle that well and it's not good for them. So that's kind of a thing that you might think about. How much pressure is involved in your job? Do you enjoy that kind of work? Are you, are you gifted for it? Um, you know, maybe another thing like that, that some people would think about and, and, and I'm not saying that anything's right or wrong, but opportunity for growth. Uh, sometimes people get bored at certain jobs. Some, some people are more prone to get bored than other people. And so you want to think about, well, can I, can I, move up and do something different at some point in this job? Or is this just going to be like this for the rest of my life? And and so that's something maybe you think about. Um, some people just love just like just a steady, not pressure job and it just fits them really well. And that's, that's wonderful if it does, but just things to think about when, we, when we talk about work, any other things that you, that, that you think about when you've, when you've thought about a job that you've thought about taking or switching careers or anything like that? Yeah, your ability or inclination to perform that type of duty. Yeah, that's really great. You know, I, I quit a job once because I was so bad that I just felt like I wasn't a blessing to my boss. I was just, I was just so bad at it. And, uh, when I talked to him about it, he was like, yeah, you know, I, we needed to have this talk, but he just couldn't, um, he just didn't have the heart to tell me because I, I, I was young guy, sincere, but I was just horrible at working tools. I just could, I was just horrible at it. Um, and, and it, you know, years later, I, I, I was able to do that job. But uh, that's a whole nother story that I don't need to tell right now. But, but you know, I was just not in- inclined for that job at that time. And it was not, not helpful. It wasn't helpful for me. It wasn't helpful for my boss. And so it was, it was better to have me doing something else. That happens sometimes too in like the corporate world, right? Somebody gets raised up and they get promoted and they sometimes they talk about how you get people get promoted to where they're incompetent 
And so they get promoted to this level where they're now incompetent at this job and they'd be much better if they just went back down one level to where they were before. Um, people talk about that. I don't know. But, you know, whether you're gifted for a particular job or not would, would play a big, big part of it. So things to consider when we think about where we work, what kind of work we do. Um, you know, all other things being equal, we're, we're free to, um, to make more money at a job if we want. If, you know, we're free to, to find a different job if we want. We're, we're free to pursue those things, but just kind of beware though. And, and this is where this kind of brings us back here. Let's go to first Timothy chapter six. As you think about all of the things that, that might contribute to earning, like, you know, how much money you're going to make, how much pressure that job's going to be, how many hours it requires, your gifting for it, your um, enjoyment of it, the opportunities for growth, how much money you're going to make again. Um, remember 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, and this, this kind of brings us back to the foundation that we were talking about before. Paul says there, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So Paul wants us to be content and know that we're not bringing anything out of this world. So we're not here to work to accumulate the most amount of goods that we could possibly accumulate. That is not the goal. And then he says even more specifically, verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So when we're thinking about possibility of making more money at a certain job, there, there could be good or bad motives in that. It's not necessarily wrong to make more money, but the, the warning here is if you desire to get rich, you know, sometimes, I think sometimes in just Western society, we think desire to get rich, that's a great thing and we should all have that. But that is not what the scripture says. It's not a great thing. It, it, it has plunged many people into destruction and ruin and produces all kinds of evils. We should, we should be content with our wages. And so when we think about, you know, where we're going to work and how we're going to earn money, because we do need to earn money, we have to also kind of think about this. Like, am I, do I want money to glorify God with it and, and serve Him better with it? Am I, am I pursuing making more money at this job because I think it's going to be a, a greater opportunity to invest in eternity? Or am I pursuing it so that I can bless myself with more things? And if that's the case, then we need to be very, very careful about what we do. Um, okay, thinking about this, Randy Alcorn says that, and I, th I think he's right here, and I'm not going to give all the basis for this, but he says there's two kinds of disciples. He says, today there are still two kinds of disciples. One who gives up his income and possessions to further the cause in full-time ministry. 
and one who earns an income to generously support the same cause. He says we should be careful not to discourage one another from either of these callings. So there's there's two kinds of disciples in the world. We're, there's those who are going to go and and actually um, try to reach lost people and um, and and build up the church, and they're going to maybe go as missionaries or go as pastors and and serve in that way. And then there's other people who are going to stay, and they're going to use their resources that God gives them to support the same cause. Then Randy Alcorn says, there is not, however, a third kind of disciple who does whatever he or she feels like with money and possessions and fails to use them for the kingdom. Such people are common today, but by New Testament standards, they are not disciples. So I think that, I think that's something to think about that you know, we're, remember, God's the owner, we're not. He tells us how to invest our money and what to do with it. Uh, let me just, let me just read a little bit more here from Randy Alcorn. Uh, he says, regarding our attitude towards wealth, Jesus gave commands. Regarding our possessions and lifestyle, Jesus gave us principles. Jesus did not hand us a checklist of what we can and cannot own and how we can and cannot spend money. He says, on the one hand, Christ says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Matthew 6.19. On the other hand, Paul gives the following instruction, and he's reading from 1 Timothy 6. I'm going to read it from the ESV here. Um, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They, that is the rich, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And Alcorn says then with that, he says, note that Paul doesn't say what he easily could have, command those who are rich to stop being rich. The implication is that there's a legitimate diversity in the amount of money and possessions held by Christians. And then Randy Alcorn just kind of, and I'm not going to go into this tonight, but he talks about how um, really all of us in North America, we are what, what Paul would have categorized as the rich. We, we are the, the wealthiest people in the world. He says, and this was in 2002, he says, if, if you made only $1,500 last year, that's more than 80% of the people on earth. He says, if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or an apartment and have reasonably reliable means of transportation, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy if you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and live in your own house, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. So we are the, the rich people of this passage. It's okay to be rich, but we have, to, we have a, a responsibility to use it well. And so that uh, let me just close then with, with this, because we, we are about out of time here. Proverbs 30 is just a, a great passage. Um, 
Proverbs 30, the author, I think his name is King Limel, but I don't have that in here. and I, I don't see exactly it in my mind here, but it's, he says, two things I ask of you. And he's talking to the Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So King Lemuel, or whatever his name is there, he, he wants... He wants to be right in the middle. He wants, he doesn't want riches. He doesn't want poverty. He wants to be really content and rely on the Lord. Now, sometimes I guess if in our culture, maybe we can't even help being rich, but there's a, a thing that we can do to, to kind of get rid of that so that we're no longer rich. We have the opportunity to give it and invest it into eternity. And so if God has blessed us with material things, there's a way for us to be content with what we have and to honor him with our wealth and glorify him. And, uh, and so that kind of covers earning. I was going to ask if there's any questions or, or comments about that, but I think that's, I think that's probably good for tonight. Uh, when we come back next time, we'll talk about another way to get money. We'll talk about borrowing. We'll talk about how to spend money, how to give money and uh, how to save money in a way that, that honors God. So, yeah, thanks, guys, for coming. Hopefully this is helpful, practical, and at least gives you something to think about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together here. We, uh, we just ask that you would be glorified in our work, that you would be glorified by our lives, that we would be faithful to the, the task and the mission that you've given us to do. Uh, we pray for that for us as a local church, that we would be faithful with, with what you've given us as a local church and that we would see the great commission fulfilled here, that we would see people get saved, that we would see people growing in Christ and glorifying you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.